morning, church. How can you not be experiencing some Christmas joy after watching all the little ones sing? And if you're a parent, you have that extra shot of adrenaline, wondering if your child would stay on stage or leap off the front of the stage. Uh, and, and all the Christmas sweaters, those are fun, right? Uh, pro tip, by the way, I would not lead with the line, I love your ugly Christmas sweater. I would let them identify whether their sweater's ugly or not. Mistakes have been made, just saying, so I wouldn't lead with that line. Um, as I was thinking about the theme of, of joy this morning, I was thinking about this uh, reality that sometimes two people can experience the same happening, the same circumstance, and have two de- very different responses to it. So you might have the same circumstance that take place, and on one hand, there's a response of joy, and on the other hand, there's a response maybe of frustration or discouragement. So let, let me illustrate what I mean for you. As a child, uh, any time that there was snow in the forecast, maybe a blizzard was forecasted, I did the next morning, if it was a school morning, what every child did is I ran, and back in the old days, we had to watch the TV for school closings, right? So I'd watch the little ticker at the bottom of the screen, just hoping that school would be closed for the day because of snow. And if there was a snow day, like anyone who was in school, there were shouts of joy and acclamation. Now, as a parent on the other side of a snow day, it is like a, oh no, The whole day has to be reoriented. I have to figure out how Lauren and I are going to work. How do we divide up the day? How do we hand off the kids back and forth? And suddenly it becomes a logistical nightmare. And so while my kids are rejoicing, I'm over here trying to figure out how to actually get things done and get everyone where they need to go. And it's the same circumstance, but two very different perspectives leading to two very different responses. And and so what I think happens is often we find our responses to circumstances sort of dictating how we feel. And and so often I think what happens is happiness is conflated with joy. We assume they're the same. And so when we have good circumstances and we respond with happiness, we think, oh, this is a, a joyous thing. And yet when there's a difficult circumstance and we respond with discouragement or despair, it's easy to let our circumstances dictate our response. So I want to wrestle a little bit with this question today about how can the people of God remain rooted in joy no matter the season that we're in? So you've already heard this uh, prophecy from Isaiah, read in Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to read it again this morning for us. This is Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. It says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he, God, humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Now, here's the heart of this prophecy. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. I'm going to include verse 6. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And so as you read that prophecy, right, this is uh, Isaiah saying, here's what God will do in the future. And as you read it, it's this beautiful, hope-filled moment where he says, those walking in deep darkness, you are going to experience the arrival of hope, this dawning of a new light. And he says, God is going to enlarge the nation and God is going to increase your joy. And and as you read that, you, you might think, okay, if that's a prophecy someone is giving to me, it would be hard not to be joyful. 
right? This, this is a great uh, uh, announcement of hope and joy and the enlargement of the, the people's uh, nation and what God is going to do on their behalf. But if you look at the context of what's happening around this time, Isaiah speaks this prophecy at a moment when in the country of Assyria, a new king has come to power. And this king is named Tiglath-Pileser III. What a cool name, right? And so he comes to power and he immediately begins reforming the nation of Assyria and he launches their first ever professional army. And, and Tiglath-Pileser III becomes one of the first mighty emperors that the world has ever known. He sets out to conquer most of the known world for the Assyrians at the time. And at this moment, when Isaiah is making this prophecy, the Assyrian army is pressing in close to both Israel and Judah. And what happens is if Israel and Judah are conquered by the Assyrians, their culture will be destroyed. Their way of life will be destroyed. Their freedom to worship their God will, will, will be gone as the Assyrians sweep in. And so Isaiah makes this proclamation of hope and joy right as the people of Israel and Judah are fearing the threat of Assyrian occupation. That's a little bit tougher circumstance to be joyful in, isn't it? And yet, Isaiah gives this prophecy and he encourages the people to respond with rejoicing, to recognize that God will increase their joy. So again, here's that question. How do the people of God, how do we find joy in all seasons of life? How do we not let it just be dictated to us by our circumstances? And so as we explore that question this morning, I want to define joy for us. I want to look at biblically, where is joy rooted? What is the source of joy? And then I want to look at uh, two potential responses for us as we face just the circumstances of life. So let's start at the top. How, how do we define joy? And, and the definition of this is important because it, it sort of frames in the rest of how we'll describe this. I want to suggest to you that joy is defined as a deep delight of the soul a sense of well-being rooted in the hope, trust, and peace that the presence of God and his grace brings in our life, right? Let me say that again, that joy is a deep delight of the soul, a sense of well-being rooted in the hope, trust, and peace that the presence of God and his grace brings in our lives. And, and so here's the difference. We often, I think, uh, think of joy in terms of happiness. Happiness is a, an emotional response to circumstances. Joy is something much deeper. Joy is a disposition. It's a way of, of viewing life that says, I believe that God is at work here. And even if my circumstances are challenging, I can have a sense of delight and well-being, knowing, trusting, and believing that the sovereign God holds all things in his hand. Now, the, the theologian Karl Barth says it much better and much more simply than I do. He said it this way. He says, to be joyful is to expect that life will reveal itself as God's gift of grace. I love the beauty and the simplicity of that. To be joyful is to expect that life will reveal itself as God's gift of grace. And, and if you look back over your life, if you think about all the things that God has done, I promise you that as you look back, you will see evidence of God's grace all over your life. And the reason I think this is so important to understand joy this way is even when you encounter a difficult circumstance, if we are living rooted in joy, our question is, God, how might you bring your grace to bear on this situation? Right? When you encounter a challenging moment, if you are rooted in joy, you have this expectation that a dark and difficult moment is, is, is a ripe season for God to bring his grace and to surprise you with redemption in an unlikely way. So here's that question. Do we see life as an opportunity to see God's grace revealed as a gift? 
Now, confession, right? As, as a pastor, uh, right, we have to get up here and talk about these things as if we're competent at all of them. And we're human just like anybody else. And as I thought about this this week, church, I wrestled with this because I, I, I don't do joy well, right? I feel like I am really good at identifying problems. I can see things that are broken. I'm really good at complaining about things that don't go my way. How about you? You identify with any of that? And so when I see this definition of to be joyful is to expect that life will reveal itself as God's gift of grace, I know that for myself, I've got to do a little bit of reorienting my perspective because perspective matters and where you look for hope and joy matters. And so often we see life as a series of obstacles to be overcome rather than expecting that it's an opportunity to see God's grace revealed in our lives. And that I think is is where joy is found, recognizing that all of life is a gift of God's grace. So let's flesh this out some more. Biblically, what are the roots of joy? I think uh, joy is first and foremost, it's a gift of God's grace received in relationship with him. If you want to know and to experience true joy, lasting joy, it's found only in relationship with Jesus Christ, right? And Galatians 5 speaks to this reality. Galatians 5, and 23 says this. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In other words, when the spirit is present in your life, when you become a believer and say, God, my life is yours, right? The presence of the spirit, part of the fruit that he brings is the fruit of joy, Psalm 86, four says it this way, bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. And in Psalm 86, it's the psalmist saying, Lord, I've surrendered my life to you. I'm trusting you. And I'm recognizing that it's you who brings joy as my life is lived in relationship with you. Secondly, I think joy is found in the work of God on our behalf. Psalm 92, four says it this way. It says, for you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. And so what's happening in Psalm 92, fours, it's this psalm of praise where the psalmist is looking back over his life and he's recognizing all that God has done on his behalf. And he says, your deeds, Lord, make me glad. I sing for joy because of what your hands have done. And often, church, what happens for me is when I encounter a difficult moment in the present, I forget all of the past things that God has done. Anybody else do that? It says this, everything collapses into this one difficult moment. And I forget the hundreds of ways that God has revealed his grace. I forget the hundreds of ways that God has showed his provision and protection. And all I can see is this one thing that I'm struggling with. And yet the psalmist says, when I remember your deeds, Lord, I sing for joy. And I think joy is rooted in this recognition that your life is filled with the evidences of the gifts of God's grace. Moments of provision and protection in which God has acted graciously on your behalf. I think the ultimate rooting of joy is, is found in God's working of salvation for us. Isaiah 12, 2 says it this way. It says, surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Now, I love that image of drawing uh, water from the wells of salvation with, with joy. Now for us, this metaphor is lost, right? You go to the sink, you turn on the tap water, you have instant cold water. Remember though, right? The, the, the people of Israel and Judah, they lived in an arid climate. They lived in a place where water was scarce and drinkable water was even scarcer yet. 
And so when you had a well filled with deep, cool, cold water, that was a sign and a symbol of sustenance. That was a symbol that life could continue. And so you can imagine a hot, dry day in which you dip cold water from the well and you drink it and it's just like, ah. Right, that's the image. Uh, Isaiah saying, we will draw with joy wells from the water of salvation. And it's this symbol of life-saving gift of God's grace. And church, again, that is where joy is found. I think we're so often looking for joy circumstantially that if we can just get the right job, the right financial situation, the right relationship, then I'll be joyful. And we're waiting for all the right things to click without recognizing that true joy is founding the one with whom our soul was designed to be in relationship with. So finally, it's this, joy is found in walking in the word, ways, and wisdom of God. Psalm 19.8 says it this way. It says, the precepts or the teaching, the law of the Lord is right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. And church, when we align our life with the word of God given to us, revealed to us as a gift of God's grace, when you live your life aligned with the words, ways, and wisdom of God, you experience joy as it was meant to be lived. You experience life as it was meant to be lived, right? This is why Jesus says in in the gospel of John, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full or to the abundance because Jesus knows that the abundance of life is found only in relationship with God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And I think we live in a culture that is desperately looking for joy and contentment without recognizing that it's found only in Jesus Christ as we surrender our lives fully to him. So let's talk a little bit about the dynamics of joy, right? How how does this play out in our lives and why is this important? And the first one is this, is that joy transcends our circumstances. And and I think we're so used to letting our circumstances drive everything else that we miss the reality that when our life is rooted in relationship with Jesus Christ and the Spirit's present is bringing the fruit of joy that we can pass through difficult moments and rather than letting our circumstances dictate our response, we can be rooted in the confidence that life is, uh, 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 with the expectation that life is to be lived uh, with the, the opportunity to see God's grace. And when we approach it from that perspective, a difficult circumstance becomes an opportunity to be surprised by God's grace, provision, and protection. And what happens then, church, when we are rooted in the confidence that in all things that God is at work and moving and acting and that God is waiting to pour his grace in our lives, what happens is we can now act transformatively in the midst of our difficult circumstances. And in fact, I think the body of Christ can be a conduit of hope and joy in the middle of a world that desperately needs hope and joy as we point people back to the truth and to the hope of Jesus. So walking in joy is not just like a Christmas pleasantry, right? It's easy to get super sentimental around Christmas and talk about the concept of joy or the concept of peace. But y'all, do you recognize that we live in a world and a culture that desperately needs the hope, joy, and the peace that only Jesus can bring? And as the body of Christ, we are called to be a people through whom the joy of Jesus is seen so that we become a conduit of God's joy, hope, and peace. We are to be a transformative presence that makes an impact in culture. That's good news. Second dynamic of joy is this. Joy is rooted in the reality that God is constantly at work in all things. And I think what we're tempted to believe is that when we encounter difficult circumstance, we think that that God must not be working there. We encounter something hard and we're like, God, where are you? What are you doing? 
But I think when we walk in joy, we recognize the reality that God is constantly moving and God is constantly at work, that his grace is always working out God's redemptive end. Let me go back to Isaiah 9 for us, verse 3. There Isaiah says this, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Now notice that Isaiah calls the attention of the people back to two key places. He says, we'll rejoice as when people rejoice at harvest. And, and harvest, we recognize this as a, an agricultural community, but this was especially true for the people of Israel and Judah. Their livelihood depended on their ability to have a good harvest. And so the harvest was a time of rejoicing when the fruit of their labor was coming in. And, and so when Isaiah talks about people will rejoice as at the harvest, he's imagining this moment when they're bringing in the fruit of their abundance. And so part of what Isaiah is calling their attention to is the reality that God is a God of provision who continually provides for his people that harvest is to be received as a gift of God's grace who designed and created all things. And then he, he says this, and you will rejoice as when warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Now you only divide plunder after the victory. Now remember the context of Isaiah 9. The enemy army of Assyria is on the borders of Israel and Judah, and they are feeling this intense geopolitical pressure of, of maybe being conquered. And into the middle of that moment, a place of darkness and fear and uncertainty for the people of Israel and Judah, Isaiah says, oh, by the way, you will rejoice in a moment of victory. And Isaiah is calling their attention, not only to the provision of God, but to the protection and the salvation of God. And church, what joy does is it roots us in the reality that even in a difficult circumstance, we can remember the protection and the provision of God. We can look back at all the things that God has done and joy dynamically transforms our response to difficult circumstances. Third dynamic of joy is this, that joy anchors us in moments of difficulty. And what I mean by this is that joy keeps us rooted and centered in that reality that God is present and God is moving and God is active and there is the potential and the possibility for joy and redemption in all things. Because this is the last dynamic of joy is that joy trusts that God will bring his purpose to pass. I think sometimes when we encounter a difficult moment, we're tempted to believe in this hard thing that you might be experiencing, whether it's a season, whether it's a moment of life, you go, God, what are you doing? How are you going to redeem this thing? How, how are you going to walk me through this difficult moment? God, I don't see a way through. I don't see a way out of this moment. God, I don't know what to do. But joy anchors us in the reality that God provides provision and pr protection, that all of life is an opportunity to see the grace of God revealed. And so joy anchors us in this place of hope because joy trusts that God always brings his purposes to pass. Church, I believe in a God who is never thwarted in his plans and purposes. Amen? That God is more than capable of bringing his redemptive means to bear. And, and here, here's what I love, church. Is that God often brings redemption in surprising ways that I would never anticipate. Now, if... If I was going to write a prophecy to encourage the people, I'd be like, God's going to raise up a mighty army and it's going to have the best chariots and the best armor and we're going to conquer. But Isaiah would give this prophecy and he says, verse six, for to us, a child is born. A child. God, wars on the horizon. We don't need a child. We need an army. 
And yet it is in the arrival of the Messiah, it is in the arrival of Jesus that the bigger and more full uh, uh, victory is being won. And God is doing something far bigger than the people of Israel and Judah can even imagine. God is unfolding a plan uh, of redemption that seeks to undo the causes of sin and brokenness and to bring restoration and redemption. And, And it's this surprising way of the Messiah coming as a child. I mean, I think of it when when Jesus in the New Testament, when he rides into Jerusalem, you would expect the Messiah to ride in on a war stallion and Jesus lumbers in on a donkey, right? I mean, that is not a dignified, like I'm declaring, it's like, it's like, I would never do that. And yet God is surprising his people all the time in exceeding their expectations and bringing grace in ways that surprises and confounds us and delights us. And church, this is why joy is so important. It anchors us in the reality that even in the middle of difficult and challenging things, God is going to surprise us with the way that his grace shows up and the way redemption unfolds. So I I think we have before us two responses. More than that, but I want to focus on two. The first is this. We can respond with rejoicing. And what rejoicing does is it roots us in the ability of, uh, of God to redeem. It roots us in confidence that God is able to redeem all things. And listen to what Isaiah says again in 9 verse 3. He says, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Did you notice three times, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Whenever the Hebrew scriptures use something in repetition, it's never by accident. Isaiah is calling the attention of the people of Israel to this response of rejoicing. And what rejoicing is, is rejoicing is the outward expression of the inner sense of joy that we are rooted in. Rejoicing is this moment of responding through worship, through prayer, through praise, through gratitude to all that God has done in our lives. Now, the other response, which is the one that comes much more natural to me, is complaint. And and complaint is this. I think complaint is an expression of our doubts about God's ability to work in our circumstances. So when you encounter a difficult moment, what what is your instinctual response? Is it a response of rejoicing, saying, God, I cannot wait to see how your grace is going to be seen in this situation? Or is it a response of complaint in which we say, God, why did you allow this? What are you doing? I don't see a way through. God, are you even competent? Right? Because that's what's behind our complaining is a questioning of God's competence and his ability to do what's right and good for us. But rejoicing totally reorients this. When we rejoice, we say, God, I can see your hand of grace at work in my life in the past, and I trust that you will be at work now. And God, I cannot wait to be surprised at how your grace and redemption show up in ways that I can't expect. So let me go back to that question. How can the people of God live rooted in joy in all seasons? And here's what I want to leave you with as a response to that question. I think we can remain rooted in joy through cultivating the practice of rejoicing. So three things with rejoicing. Number one is this, remember God's work in your life. Can I give us homework this week? I know it's Christmas season. I know there's a lot going on. Here's what I want you to do. If you're a journaler, grab your journal. If you're not a journaler, open up a Word document, uh, pull out a sheet of paper, and, and pick a number for yourself that feels kind of aggressive, like 30 or 40. And I want you to sit with that piece of paper, that Word document, whatever, and I want you to remember and call to mind 30 ways, moments, places where you have seen God's provision and protection, where you have experienced God's grace. 
Now, here's why I say pick a number. Because if you're like me, I think, okay, I'm going to give 10 minutes. And I set a timer for 10 minutes and I write down three things and I'm like, that's it. I only have three things to be thankful. That's what comes to mind. But church, what I, I, I did this this last week. I sat down a couple weeks ago and I made a list of all the things that I've seen God do and work through my life. Not all the things, but a lot of them that I could remember. And what happened was when I set a number, I'm not going to leave until this page is filled, is it forced me to sit there longer and more reflectively. And what happened, church, is as I started thinking, I was like, oh, yeah, there was this time. And then, oh, I can't forget about this moment. And, and the longer I thought about it, the more I was reminded of the numerous ways that I had seen God's provision and protection and the, his grace show up in my life. And what happens is circumstances distract us. The busyness of life refocuses us. And all we're focused is on what we have to do, what we have to get done, all the things that are wrong and broken. And it's so easy to take for granted all of the ways that God has blessed us. So I encourage you this week, take that time, whatever your numbers, maybe it's 20, maybe it's 30, sit down and just begin to recall those things. And what it does, church, is it helps reorient our perspective And then as you do that, so remember God's work in your life. Number two, respond actively in prayer, praise, gratitude, and service. As you make that list, right, spend a couple moments just saying, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this moment when I didn't know how I was going to pay this bill and money showed up. Thank you for this moment when I wasn't sure how I was going to navigate this thing and, and suddenly you created, just spend some time praising him. Because as we live our life rooted in rejoicing, right, it begins to change our perspective. And where we're prone to despair, we find ourselves more and more giving way to hope and to joy. And what this does, church, this is our third way of responding. Reorient your perspective. To be joyful is to expect that life will reveal itself as God's gift of grace. So to make this practical, when you encounter that difficult moment and you're prone to give up, you're prone to despair, Just pray this simple prayer. Say, God, help me to see where you're going to surprise me in this moment with the gift of your grace. And what that does is it begins to reframe how we focus on those difficult moments. And I think, church, that by cultivating the practice of rejoicing, we can live rooted in joy. As we close out the service, um, I I thought there was no better way to close than to show a couple more of the rejoice videos. So out in the foyer, Uh, We've had people just stop by the photo booth there and just record a short uh, message of here's what they're rejoicing for. And so let this be just a a step in our practice of cultivating what rejoicing looks like for us. So go ahead and and take a look at these stories. I am rejoicing in my health and my husband's health and the promises of God. We're rejoicing for uh, our wonderful health that God has blessed us with and just the ability to be together on holidays such as this and just rejoice uh, for God and just his presence in our family and how much he's blessed us with. This season I am rejoicing for an amazing church, uh, for friends who are always there and constant and for a family who loves and cares. This Christmas we're thankful for the connections we formed at Grace Point Church. And that have formed outside of the Grace Point doors. Uh, I'm thankful for my family. Our family and friends and snow. Uh, I rejoice for Jesus, whom our days would be so much darker without. 